Hello, welcome to episode number 238 of the Apple Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. This show is supported through people like you that shop on Amazon. You too can help me out by going to appleock.ca slash Amazon or appleock.ca slash US Amazon. And every time you want to shop on Amazon, go on those links. It costs you no extra money. Bookmark them. Tell your friends. Tell a, tell a mate. Tell an enemy. It's really good to see that people are buying stuff on Amazon and support me through that means. It really does help. I also, the other thing I do is Patreon. If you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash pod, and you can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and uh, that's very helpful as well. You can go buy a t-shirt by going to appleock.ca slash shop, or follow me on Twitter at simonhead666, and like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod. Woo! Seemed tough this week. This week, I have Mr. Ron Hawkins. I believe it's his third time on the show. Every time Ron comes on, it's to promote an album or something that he's doing. And right now, he's doing in the middle of one thing and starting up another thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about Agitpop, which is the new Lois of the Low album. We're also going to talk a little bit about his Do Good Assassins project, which is uh, the four-track album that he's starting or started and is now going to put out. And also, we did some recording down in his lovely house down in Toronto. And here's the song. It's called Love is a Poison Thing. Here we go. Love is a poison thing The sweetest sour sting A joker and a king Then love is a tragedy Theater of cruelty And you got that front row seat Then the actor's unfree On a stage lost at sea But the run's been extended indefinitely Nothing worse For the last free man on earth When love is a guillotine Better hope that blade is clean Cause the end comes quick and mean Yeah, the peasants shade their eyes Wrestle in the line to see that fair falling bloody Valentine. So save yourself if nothing else. Save yourself from all that heartache. Genocide, the enemy's inside. 
So there's nowhere to hide Oh, love is a murder scene Some psychopathic dream A gilded guilty plea But it's lethal and sweet So we rinse and repeat All that same chalky outline on the street mm -hmm. Love is a poison thing Love is a poison thing Love is a poison thing And that is an unreleased song, Love is a Poison Thing, which will be on the new Do Good Assassins album, which is coming out shortly, soon. I should probably play a Lois the Low song as well, seeing that they are doing a record. So here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play something that is... Oh, I got to ask permission for this. No, I'm not... Should I? No. Whatever. No, I can't do it. I'm going to play something... I'm going to play something from the album. I wish I could play this live version of it, but maybe I'll ask Ron if I can play this live version from the Danforth Music Hall that has horns and stuff on it, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Anyways, the song's called Love and Justice on Agitpop. Check it out on Warner Brother Records, and enjoy. Ah, hell, is a snake. I guess love is a ladder. Justice is another matter. A tougher egg to break Oh, but make no mistake Through the static and the chatter The former becomes the latter Though you feel lonely, you know You're never alone No, you're never alone When your life is a nail History is a hammer The side you're on is what matters to drive the boat of it home And when the struggle is on Victories and disgraces You got friends in low places We pick you up so you know Let loose from the t- 
And go pick up Agit Pop on Warner Brother Records. Ron Hawkins is, like I said, the lead singer and founder and principal songwriter of the band Lois the Low. He's also a solo artist. He's also a talented and awesome singer-songwriter in, 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 as a solo artist in his own right. I'm very privileged to call him my friend, and I am very privileged to have him on the show once again for the third time. Here he is, Mr. Ron Hawkins, on the Apple Podcast. So hey Ben, I've been good. Yeah, yeah, gotta. Yeah, and I was just I was thinking because what I did I listened to I listened to lo- the low on the way down. I hadn't heard Shakespeare my butt in like I don't know like the actual version of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good record. Well, here's a question: Did you listen to the original version or did you listen to the 2012 just, remastered? I listened to the one that had like almost two hours of music on it or something. It was like an <laughs> hour. It was I think for some reason the playlist had like the record had. A little, little while twice on it for oh. some reason yeah yeah that's not the original no no i listened to one, well it was on spotify right so it had it, it was oh, in so a, that may have been the original bleed a little while tonight and the remastered version of that's probably what it was i didn't know because we did a you know we did a re-release when it when it ran out of print and it went gold that's sort of at the same time it went gold and it ran and it went out of print at the same time so we decided to reprint it with pheromone and then uh I, you know, we did a, a quote. I'm doing air parentheses yeah, for the yeah. 25th anniversary because I think we did a 24th anniversary tour, <laughs> which we thought, well, everybody does a 25th anniversary. We'll do a 24th anniversary tour. So that was the remastered version. Oh, okay. And we did some of those. We, you know, I, I feel like, because this was 20, whatever, 2012, something like 2013, I, I feel like it, we were on the early cusp of people going out and doing the whole record kind of front to back. And now it seems like everybody does that. Yeah, but I feel like we were early adopters of that. But we, uh, yeah, we did a tour where we just did Shakespeare, yeah, front to back, and I'd forgotten how many words are on that record, <laughs> and I almost suffocated every night because all the air was going out of my mouth, yeah, constantly. Well, I love you know because obviously we've worked together for a few years now, but I, I the way the vocals are on that record compared to what like I've heard recorded vocals of the same songs. It really does. Yes, people do get better. You know what I mean. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying it was bad. I'm just saying no, no. It just everything improved your how you phrased and how everything sort of. It took a few years maybe to sort of understand how those songs were actually phrased. Or like, yeah. did you record that record fast, or was that? Done? Oh, uh, well, no, no. See, this is the thing. Not fast per se. Well, here I'll explain it. Mm-hmm. We went into Metalworks to do the beds. And when I say beds, I think what we came out with was just drums or drums and bass. I can't really remember. David did 25 songs in a day because <laughs> we, we, we could only afford a day. Yeah. Because we had, you know, we would, were trying to get signed by everybody. Yeah. You know, we get this Freedom Fighter moniker. Uh, but originally, we were, like everybody else, we were trying to get signed by somebody. And nobody would touch us with a 10-foot pole. So we decided to make demos. And uh, so we didn't have any money. So we, Dave went into Metalworks and in a day we did 25 songs, but the guy, our buddy who was producing it, Andy, accidentally erased five of them. So he had to 
do the five again. In the so same that's day. why it was twenty. That's why it was twenty-two because there was seventeen songs on the record, but we <laughs> lost five of them. So he had to do yeah in the same day. So Dave did all of his twenty-two tracks in a day. Everything you twice. hear on the record is was done in one day by Dave because we didn't know he didn't do that, right? <laughs> no, that's true. That's sort of I agree with you that because you know especially when you're paying sort of top dollar for a top studio, that was a good decision by the way because mm-hmm. a lot of people said, well, we'll just go do take more time in a shittier studio where yeah, and then you well know. here's the t- here's the catch to the rest of it though. So we had those and then we because and Andy worked at Filmhouse, which was a film post studio where mm-hmm. they did post audio for for film and television. So we went in there and did all the overdubs and vocals in there. And we literally were doing all of our tracks in a Foley booth, like straddling the <laughs> the trench full of gravel and the trench full of glass that, you know, that they used to make sound effects with. Oh, Foley. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So we did that for, I feel like that went on for about four months. Oh, okay. So, then, so it was so a you fast and slow. Leisure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Fast and slow record. Yeah, no, it's, I did the same thing with a few bands where we'd go to Metalworks, pay all the money and have one or two days and then go overdub everything. But everything would have to get transferred over to eight ads. And right. then there's sort of a time code thing involved because yeah. eventually it had to go back to two inch. Mm-hmm. So there was always like this weird, like, is this going to work? Because you go away into like an ADAT, or my, I had an ADAT studio, and you start overdubbing, hey, this is great, all that stuff. And then you think, well, if this Simpty track gets, this one track of, it sounds sort of like weird noise. If this gets erased, we're fucked. Yeah. We got nothing. You yeah, know what I mean? No so we might as well use the two tracks of drums that are submixed that we can then work upon. But there was always so much like worry and. F- fear like of first of all is this going to work technically and second of all and it's that's the age-old thing is like is this record going to uh, take off or is it going to be mm-hmm. uh, you know successfully uh, uh received the other thing i thought about because that record you kind of like you'd left you'd sort of put popular front to sort of bed and then yeah and then you wrote this record or like the question is, did you write the record or was these old songs from? Oh no, I wrote the record in about. I'm gonna say I wrote the record in about five months. Yeah. Um, there might be. I think there's two holdovers from Popular Front mm-hmm. on that record. So I wrote 15 songs in four months or something. I was on fire. So they, yeah, and that was yeah. That's the part that's like, that's okay. That was there was the two things. Obviously, mm-hmm. there was like all the old songs we'd had or. I wrote it really fast and you can tell it was run really fast. I didn't want to sort of like, well, know. I was in the throes of, you know, that stew that is gold for a, an artist, but not good for you as a human being, which is yeah. that I was in a, had been in a long-term relationship that broke up. Uh, and it broke up partially over the idea of the person I was with, I think kind of dug the idea of artists and she was an artist mm-hmm. to some degree, but didn't like the horrible warts and all realities of being an artist not having anything, not having any money, you know, not being available all the time, being out late, you know, being out late with unsavory characters. Yeah. She didn't dig that. So, so that kind of unraveled and it unraveled in a, in a way where, and I was young enough that when it unraveled and I moved, uh, from the East end to the West end and started living with the sort of deadbeats and 'er ne'er-do-wells that I started to live with, I was very easy to spin that into a romance about my life that I was a bedraggled uh, <laughs> art. You know, I was the Henry Miller of, of Toronto. Well, you had something to write about bumming too. around yeah. and trying to find my next meal and writing yeah. and falling in love and falling out of love and drinking too much and, you know, and discovering myself. So, I mean, you can, you can only do that. I mean, maybe you could do that once or twice if you have a midlife crisis, maybe you can do it again, but yeah, I think you can generally only do that once in your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so, 
that's why I wrote 15 songs in four months, which I, I just, I couldn't write fast enough to explain what my brain was telling me about how yeah. awesome the universe was and how sad the universe was and how <laughs> scary the universe was. And, you know, like yeah. it was all right there. So there is a time and it, you, it's funny where sometimes you notice it while it's happening going, cause I'm, I was in the same boat, like in the early 2000s, I didn't lose a relationship, but everything was sort of aligning. You know, I was becoming a father, I was writing songs, I had people interested in the music, and it all sort of all came together, like, in a, like everything sort of seemed like, this is aligning, but I kind of knew it was happening right? while it was happening. But even more now, obviously, years have gone by, you can have more perspective of, like, this is kind of how all this came together. Because mm -hmm. when you write a record that's sort of front to back, very, very cohesive, and as well as... Um, Tonally and everything, it's, it's good, and everything is goes from and the messages are strong. You kind of know that. Would you know that was happening while it was happening, or did you have to take years later to figure it out? Well, you know, uh, now I mean, how many years later is it? It's thirty. Is it thirty? Almost yet? thirty. It's ninety one. We came out right. It's twenty. Yes, yeah, so it's twenty eight years later. Um, I'm sure I'm rewriting history a little bit, but uh, I do remember having a sense of being outside of myself and watching myself be you know like i always i always put it down as like i was the protagonist in the film of my life basically right. like and i remember having a sense of that that i was a character in my life mm -hmm. and i was surrounded by other you know i've always been surrounded by insane characters <laughs> present company yeah, yeah, man. included <laughs> um so you know so that also helps that you're 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 kind of in a in a bubble right like and i was saying like once we started touring and living that life too uh not very many people maybe theater troops and and soldiers, I don't know who, but like yeah. gets to be, to live outside of time, kind of like you're in a little bubble where time doesn't mean what it means to most people because yeah. you have a few jobs to do and then the rest of your time is about existing and being a sponge and taking in things yeah, and then trying to make sense of those things and then trying to make them into art, you know? Yeah, and the, the art is the operative word there because if you start getting yourself caught up in the machine, so to speak, where people are kind of trying to take you into different directions that maybe is not comfortable for you, like business-wise or ethically, mm -hmm. that becomes part of the art as well, where you start speaking out against the people that are possibly putting food on your table. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. sort of that weird... But we were in that, you know, when you, when you were saying about being being in the studio and being a bit scared of like, is this going to work out? And, you know, I mean, I think we had the benefit on all levels of a, nobody cared about us. Mm -hmm. So we weren't being tampered yeah. with too much by anybody because nobody gave a shit. Yeah. Um, we weren't scared because we we're too stupid to be scared. We didn't really know any better. As I said, <laughs> we didn't know you shouldn't do 22 songs in a day <laughs> at Metalworks. Yeah. But so, so we were kind of blissfully ignorant kind of in this little adorable bubble, you know, like yeah. where we just kind of, had an idea of what we wanted to do and we plugged away at it. And as I say, nobody was tampering with us because nobody cared about right. us until we started selling. I think we sold 7,000 records on our own or something of this thing that we thought was a demo. Yeah. And then everybody started caring. And I think this, that's one danger. And it's probably one of the reasons the band broke up is the danger is that once you've become too self-aware of what you're doing and who you are and what you mean to other people and stuff like that, that's when you stop having this you know i would liken it to be like a goaltender i used to be a goaltender and it's like i would liken it to being in the zone but not thinking about being in the zone yeah because you and you mistakes. can stop anything at that point yeah but if you start if you accidentally get into thinking about what it is that you're doing right or wrong then you're thinking and then <laughs> yeah. that whole thing just starts to disintegrate in front of your eyes same so. as golf i don't know if you ever played golf but golf's the exact same mentality if you mm -hmm. stop 
thinking about what you're doing, you're going to play good golf. But you think, well, I'm playing pretty good golf. And then all of a sudden, you start <laughs> duffing it all over the place. And gambling is the same way. Some way where you start going, yeah, you start counting your money. Like Kenny Rogers was not incorrect when he said, you never count your money until you leave the table. Right. It's true. Because if you start looking at it like, wow, I'm actually making money, it all goes away. There's, It's the same idea, yeah. right? You I'm sure start... brain surgery, I'm sure everything is like that, you know? Yeah. There's a there's a grace in uh, just being in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a, you know, like a modern hipster version around here would be like doing yoga or meditation or just, you know, what what's the word for uh, mindfulness? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm saying yeah. that with a certain amount of in the sarcastic. Moment. And anything Eckhart totally writes. <laughs> yeah, like, so, you, you know, if... if like if you can be and not think about why you're being and, and not tearing everything apart, which is very difficult yeah. for most people. You know, I'm, a, I'm also a critical thinker, so it's very, uh, I can easily get it into the place where I'm thinking about things too much. Yeah. So, well, it's teetering too, because I'm going to be super Russell Brandy mindfulness or whatever, and then, then, you're like, then people think you're a wingnut. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe you are. Maybe because you are. Thing, <laughs> what is it to be a wingnut? And again, like, what is it to be a person in this kind of a society that really t- ties into that mindfulness. Like this entire society is not built on mindfulness. It's yeah. built on products and built on being a cog to sell those products. And right. So it, that comes back to the band as well, which is that, you know, we were in a place where we could just be a, a blissful, graceful. Yeah. I mean, when I say graceful, I don't mean that we didn't sound like the wheels were coming off it every night, but like uh, graceful in our own way. No, you know? no. Blissfully unaware. And if you come into your second record, it's tough to recreate the same type of bubble. You mm-hmm. can't, you know, because no, when it's you, impossible. I would it's say it's impossible. Completely to impossible. That bubble. Maybe your third or fourth, you can kind of sort of take two and go, oh, wait a second. Okay, here's what we really liked about this, and here's what we really liked about that. And then the, people have the smarts and the wits to sort of put those elements together. But that comes with age, you know. Well, I, mean? I would go you one better and say maybe your seventeenth record called Agit Pop. <laughs> you know, got it now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, uh, really, I do feel like it's you know, I got to a point where it's like I could almost get in the mindset of that twenty-five-year-old guy. Yeah. Uh, and and realize what was good about it. Um, I can't listen to Shakespeare, but when, you know, when you were originally talking about it, partially because I can't. Uh, like I hear all I hear when I hear myself singing is. Uh, an uncertain, you know, like I, I feel like I had confidence back then, but I don't hear it in the vocals. I hear, yeah. I hear a sort of naive uncertainty. That makes it charming. Yeah, you know maybe it, I mean? does, it does. But not for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the one that's got to critique it. Well, they say that a lot of people like can't listen to old, I, old records, and I'm with you. I, it's hard to do, but it's fun to do when you have a part of like to, to have sort of low expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, because I heard old records that I did and. And it's in it to me, it's like I there's a lot of I don't want to put regret into the whole thing. Or I don't want to have that feeling because I knew what it felt like when we originally did it. Yeah, yeah. For instance, we made a record with a, a producer, Stefan Edgerton from from uh, Edgerton from from all descendants. Then we did six songs by ourselves, And the sound quality between the two recordings is day and night. Right. And smart people like this guy. I'm not smart, but smarter people would have said, let's make this into two EPs. Because mm-hmm. it needs to stand on its own. Because even though the songs were, all on one record. you know, what I mean, rather put, try to put it all on one record. Let's try to, and that's where you start looking back and going, yeah, there's a regret there, but at the same time, I kind of think it's funny that we thought what we thought was we're invincible. We could just do whatever we wanted, we wanted to do. Yeah. People would just flock to it and buy it. And, and so the other thing is having that understanding, going, 
yeah, this is good. You know, like, this is all right. But we know that the other recordings were by far superior mm-hmm. to the one we did in, say, a day at Umbrella Sound in one day. Kind yeah. Of. So, but we could go and re-record Shakespeare now, uh, make it sonically a thousand times better uh, with the, with my more mature voice and maybe our sense of pocket being better and everybody being a better musician. And there's no way it would be a better record uh, for the same reason that I, you know, I had a few friends who weren't Billy Bragg fans and they were like, you know, yeah. dude can't play. And you know what that, what well, he doesn't, why yeah. would they let that vocal pass? And I'm like, I'm like, you know, if he was better at that, if they had rounded off all those edges and he was better at that back in those days, would it be a better Billy Bragg record? No. Like yeah. that's what it is. That's the message and, and it's how it's conveyed and how it's received. Cause if you give a message and, and say, I've had this, I've had this, type of conversation a few times but the interesting part of it is like what does it take to make a record like what does it take to make a record stick with a massive amount of people and the only thing i could say is well if fifty thousand people like what you do mm-hmm. that means you have a hit record but right. it means you can actually relate to the fifty thousand people who you're giving your message to yeah and that's that's a tough one to do because it's maybe easier now because we have sort of a hive mentality where I'm going to scurry over here on my Spotify playlist and then I'm going to scurry over here. Mm-hmm. But what it takes to make a successful album to me means that you have to sort of convince people what you're saying is correct. Right. And and how do you do that? <laughs> There's no way to really do that. Yeah. You just well, sort of give your you message. Know, on, a, on a much more complicated level uh, for me is to think back on, you know, people talk about, well, there'll never be another... Beatles, or there'll never be another, you know, what Stone Beatles, fill Stone. in, yeah, yeah fill yeah. in band in there that yeah. sort of galvanizes the whole planet. But the point to me is that I don't think they were galvanizing the whole planet either. They, it was just that there was a hegemony of of who had control of the levers to make me to get the music out. Yeah. So basically, I think that those bands, not that they don't that they don't appeal to people of color and stuff like that, but you know, those bands were representations of a colonial society and they were the biggest pop bands from those colonial societies now we live in a place where very many more people have a voice so of course it's more fractured and of course there won't be one titanic band that everybody loves um but i don't know if that was ever really true you know i think we're just seeing the world in a different way yeah you're right it's It's, it is demographics because it was uh, everybody who liked the beatles were all products of post-war sex <laughs> yeah you know what i mean so like whoever came out of it and enamored with british culture which you know yeah. it's easy to become enamored with all that you know early 60s british invasion mods punks you know like there's yeah. a lot of awesome pop culture that comes out of britain yeah. but at the same time i'm sure there's awesome pop culture that comes out of uh places in africa that i've never uh, you know kinds of music that i've never even heard yeah of yeah yeah that just weren't gonna have a giant empire release it to the world so yeah so of course it isn't on the same level. Of, that's not necessarily because it's not as good. It's because they don't have the platform. levers. They yeah. don't have the platform, yeah. So you now can... everybody has a, a platform with the internet, which is uh, amazing and inspiring on one level and incredibly frustrating on another. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But it does key into the fact that we are hives of people that, you know, and if I like, you know, crappy coffee house music or something, Chances are there's about 20... Not to out- put a negative spin on well, it. <laughs> not to put a negative spin. But if there's a, if I like a specific type of music mm-hmm. and it doesn't fall into the category of Mongolian throat singing, which, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, which is... You probably find that in Spotify. But 
is there a certain amount of people that think like me? And chances are, yeah, there are, you know, so therefore if someone, someone keys into that, it's the same idea where you're convincing people, this group of people who are out there in the internet, they may be a smaller yeah, pod, yeah, of course. you know what I mean? You're convincing them in the same fashion and, and there's no real uh, money machine or marketing plan that can make that happen anymore. You know what I well, mean? Well, that's what I mean. I think that's what humans are really like. I think humans are really like, uh, millions of tribes of people with interests and some of those interests overlap and some of them don't and hopefully we're we're good enough and and aspiring enough human beings to to be curious enough about other things that we don't already know about yeah. that we'll look into it yeah but more than likely we're not gonna equally love you know arctic throat singing and you know yeah. south african music and you know norwegian death metal and yeah you know i don't know why french chanteuses i mean like yeah, yeah that's the thing so like we're gonna we're gonna hone what it is that we that really speaks to us and then we're hopefully i, I would hope that everybody is just curious enough to at least taste all the other ice creams and yeah you know well yeah the problem yeah was we've talked we've actually had this conversation where you, it's a problem with the internet is you can get anything the problem the, and the good thing about the internet is you can get everything yeah so and the the the, the big message that i think needs to be con sent out to the to the people is that you have to get ticket for what it, its spirit is, not whether it's this genre or that genre, mm -hmm. because that's how we become better as a society because we're more accepting. And art is very important in all of this because if you think that, you know, I, I love that piece of painting. Well, why do you like it? It makes me feel good. Well, I don't need to tell you why I like it. It just makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's, well, I don't say it because you used a good color or brown. Yeah. You know, and... So with music, it's the same idea where like, you know, we were talking about before we turned on about the guy who critiques songs and his first reaction. And it was like, it's the, it's how that message is, is given to him and how we can now appreciate that. And I think that's what makes that, that video so strong is that we see the guy having such a good time listening to it for the first time mm -hmm. that it's inspiring. Yes. I think his name is Shaq. I think his one, uh, I think it's no life Shaq or <laughs> whatever his, his, uh, YouTube thing is, but it's uh, he's a he's a African American listening to Rush and and uh, Led Zeppelin and certain you know new country and old country yeah. supposedly for the first time you know I don't yeah, yeah. maybe it is maybe it isn't but I mean his, yeah I'm his sold. reactions are are adorable and inspiring as you say because he just has such a big grin on his face and he's just he's just soaking it in in a really non judgmental way you know. Yeah, and as those react, because that's sort of a genre now, reaction videos, <laughs> that's that's the top of this, because it's ones where it's like um, vocal uh, soprano reacts to a system of a down song or something. You're like, yeah. okay, that's uh, okay, that's the old, the, 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 you know, the skeptical person being like, yeah, come on, really, really? Come on. You're yeah. really reacting to that? <laughs> um, well... Okay, so now let's. Oh, on another on another yeah. note, I was going to say that last night I also saw, you know, people send these things around. Uh, Abbey Road, just the bass. Oh, and, and what I was uh, so it's a whole, however, forty minutes. I don't know how long that record is, but it's <laughs> forty minutes of just Paul's just, bass guitar. Wow, and you'll be and that'd be really difficult to do, seeing it was four track. Yeah, and you'll be <laughs> shocked to hear a how crappy the bass sounds solo. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it's a terrible sounding bass. Uh, how poorly it's recorded at times and then how much, you know, it differs from how much bleed is here and how much, you know, high end and like it doesn't seem consistent. It just it, needs know. the other three tracks to make it work. Yeah, it's like yeah. It's, that's a good it's a good example of what we're talking about in terms of like getting too caught up in 
and how pristine a record should the sound. The specifics, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's arguably the best pop band ever, and uh, or at least the most successful pop band ever. And there you go. And Paul's, yeah. you know, fantastic bass player, but he uh, some of those notes are flubby and yeah. Well, uh, if you heard uh, if you've heard Jet lately, you'll never hear it the same again when you when I tell you the bass is out of tune. Oh, cool. it's actually out of tune. <laughs> You're like, uh, how could you let that go? It's yeah. a pretty popular song, and I bet you Paul they McCartney. They still have to tune by ear at that yeah, point. Yeah, probably. Boom, 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 boom. yeah. Uh, I have another. It's actually, I have a, I have Killer Queen on multi-track that found on the internet, Ooh. and you can listen to the drum tracks by themselves and the bass tracks. And at the end, it's the typical dum 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 dum, like he's tuning the bass at the end of the song. Right. Yeah, it's at like, the end of the song. At the end of the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, I bet you Paul McCartney's listening to Jack going, God. Damn it! If they only invented tuners at that point, or had had I only tuned it, yeah, uh, we you know. But then again, be pretty good, be pretty good. But um, oh, I have to I have to thank you for introducing me to David Bottrell. Um, ah, he was just on last week. Yes, actually. I know. Yeah, I saw his smoldering photograph that you guys used. I found that one somewhere. I, yeah, yeah, he's from his modeling days. <laughs> he said some he said some very neat, nice things about your message and your band and. And he gets it, you know what I mean? Like he yeah. understands how a message is more important than than sometimes monetary gain. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why we, you know, flipped the switch and said, "Well, this is our guy." Because as as I think you know, when we had talked about before, we were we were kind of a little bit down the road of working with somebody else, and then the eleventh hour, we were told by our friend Catherine, you know, "Oh, you got to meet my friend David." You know, you guys would really hit it off. So people say that a lot and then you meet them and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But we totally hit it off with him on that basis that he he does an awful lot of work, as you know, in the world, uh, relief work and benefit Absolutely. work. Absolutely, charity, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it takes a lot of effort and time out of his life to do it. And uh, so we knew that he was, uh, you know, legit. He was really uh, walking the walk. Yeah, and rocking the rock. Rocking the rock. So, yeah. so that was a, a wonderful uh, uh, communion to work with him. And uh, yeah, I'd love, we'd love to work with him again at some point in the future. It is interesting speaking to like as like him as to him as a producer because he there's two types of producers and he's the one that I like to work with. He's the one that's collaborative and doesn't want to put their agenda on people on the band or put their stamp on it. Mm -hmm. And I've worked on the side with producers with other bands that are that have that, and it's a it's a struggle and a fight because you're always as that person who wants to stamp it if they're wrong that's it yeah it's all his fault you know what i mean so and david's you know where it's like when we get it right it's a collaborative we mm -hmm. got it right and so working with him that must have been interesting because he has this wealth of information behind him when it comes to music and musicality but he also has some pretty big records behind him too like, oh yeah so the conversation was obviously collaborative but you ever just sort of think you know what i'm just gonna let him let him do his thing yeah, we we had a. It's funny because because we're like minded and because you know and and again, in the band, not to blow smoke up the bands, but but uh, you know this isn't our first rodeo either. So it's like we we came to him with me uh, being a fairly down the road songwriter. I've written a lot of songs. The band has arranged a lot of songs with me together. By the time we got them to David, you know they were pretty. They weren't bulletproof, but they were pretty in pretty good shape. Yeah. And so then David's, uh, that part of the arranging part of the pr producer's job, I think was easier for David than it might be with some bands, I don't know, you know, who don't have that part together as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So that was an easier fit and less friction. But there were a couple of things that we that we disagreed about 
I'm very much from the school of like, well, here's, here's two major places where I, I run into problems with producers is that I'm a, you know, we're driving on the tour bus and we've got uh, the first Elvis Costello record on and welcome to the working week. Mm-hmm. I always point to the counter. It's like a minute and 59 or something. I'm like, yeah, yeah. he said all that in a minute and 59. Yeah. And that means a lot to me. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so that's always my watermark is always like, say it as, as efficiently as you can get in there and get out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's kind of like a punk thing, a mod thing. Like, you know, keep it short. It's not a prog thing. It's not a rush thing. No, there's no <laughs> concept involved. It's the concept is the message. Yeah. yeah so yeah. let's get it done. Right. And so that's one thing that can be a stick, sticky point with people who want to stretch things out. Uh, the other thing that I find I run into is that I'm of, and I even run into this in the band, David, our drummer, and I are always fighting about, he's he's of the school of like, that hook's amazing. That has to happen seven, th- that should be the intro, the yeah, chorus, yeah, the second yeah. chorus, and then we should, you know, do it yeah. seven times out. I'm like, that's the best part. It should happen once in the middle of the song. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's a major. Twice tops. Twice tops, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe once and a half if you can get away with that. (laughs) But like, and still bring it in in a minute and 59. Yeah. But like, so that's a, you know, that's a major um, uh, uh, ethos difference, you know? Like, so sometimes you run into a producer who doesn't believe that either. And they're coming from, you know, and I I recognize, like, I I have enough self-awareness to recognize it's ridiculous to take the most ear candy part of your song. And I mean, it's certainly not radio to do. And if you want to get on the radio, yeah, then you should do it the other way. Well, it's true. That's true. And uh, you know, I I think of like some of my favorite bands, like Death Cab for Cutie, have one part in some of that Transatlantic album that has one part per song that is like, oh, yeah, euphoric. You know, right. how did that? How did they build to that? Just sonically, you know what I mean? And that's to your point. It makes sense because you're bril- you're building it to this part, but it shouldn't just trickle away. And the trick is trying to keep it, yeah, level. Because if you bring it right in the middle. It's a long walk down. You know? Yes. <laughs> so, it's, so those are a couple of problems that you could run into. We also had one um, sort of political disagreement in the song "The Barricade" on Ajapop because of the there was a you know there's a line you know my next vote's with a brick yeah which yeah. I'm f- perfectly comfortable saying even even though I say it not meaning it necessarily literally but like right for having it to mean like I have no faith in most of the sort of rigged political schemes that exist around the world. So yeah. sometimes I recognize that major change happens outside the parliamentary system. So I'm not saying that's what I would go to. I'm a very peaceful guy yeah, yeah, regularly. Yeah. But, you know, when push comes to shove, sometimes you got to step up and do some things. And it rhymes a prick. Exactly. <laughs> and you got to, you know, like like there's a, I, I'm seeing arguments online about, you know, trying to understand everybody's viewpoint, even Nazis. And I'm like, and then I see somebody go, you know, at, at what point did, you know, the only good Nazi is a dead Nazi become not applicable anymore. yeah yeah like well I'm we're thinking, can we not draw the yeah. line there at yeah. least you know yeah. it's true that is true it's funny that's our world of acceptance you know what i mean yeah. like, but what i mean kind of what you're saying is that conversations don't need to always be the same you know we can have different points of view yeah it's how the message is how 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 the communication is well and you know how frustrating and awesome uh, the lowest of the lowest band democracy is yeah <laughs> which is that so that came into play and it was like you know we got to a point we talked about it back and forth david was had some issues with it and a couple guys in the band had some issues with that line so we got to a point where i was like look i don't want you guys every night to be yeah. up there oh, rolling your eyes doing something you don't feel represents you yeah. so if it's you know if it's enough of a pain so we have to figure out does it bug you enough sorry this coffee is fucking unbelievable oh that's sorry. a pour over man <laughs> <laughs> sorry you know, is it is is this going to bug you enough that 
you know, every night your life is a lie or, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or can, can you guys back me on this one and let it ride? And I, I'm the face of the band in interviews and stuff like that. So I'll take the heat anyway. You know, so we got to that point and they understood where I was coming from and we, we got through it and we did it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I love that about the band, which is that we could have just had a fight and broke up about it. Yeah. <laughs> or we could, have, you know, somebody could have stormed off or we could have done whatever, but like, uh, right. we worked it up. Well, we I talked. mean, obviously we've worked together and there is a definite type of democracy, but it's also, when I send the question out to the to the to the group, there's usually one or two people really answering. Yeah. And the people that the other two people are kind of like, well, you know, it's cool. You know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. no real like, let's put our foot down because I have a you know I have a deep vision. dark roots and revision and all of this, and I have you know. So there's always been like, a, and it usually comes down to where we where, where's a hotel. I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> it's not really that crazy, but. But when we talk about like certain things, like "Hey guys," because this is new, this is kind of new to me. Because someone says, "Hey, what are we doing?" I go, "These are the five things we're doing." They go, "Okay," they get right. in the van and go away. You know, and and then there's the exact opposite where people has their own opinion and wants to tell you exactly what they feel is right. Yeah, triple charger. And then, um, <laughs> but then you guys are sort of that gentle blend between the two. Y'all have been doing it long enough; you should have an opinion and a voice in all of this. Yeah, but it's sort of working within the confines of the comfort level. Yeah, that's I think it's the, I think it just boils down to if anybody feels it's a democracy, but it works in a sense that if anybody feels super strongly about something and everybody else and, and they're outvoted, but everybody else doesn't feel as strongly about it, then we go with the person who feels yeah. strongly about it. Because you know? if it was 20 years ago, people would be very quiet fan ride. Mm -hmm. You'd be very quiet and people would be very, you bet. No, I'm not mad. 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 Yeah. A lot of that. Like, no, 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 no. Like that stuff. When someone says no five, five times in the van, that means there's something wrong. It's, yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's something desperately wrong. Um, That's the only time that no doesn't mean no. If it's spoken yes. up and a like, no, 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 no. Like if there's no, like less than a millisecond between the no and the O and in the yeah. O. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I've had that a few times, and it's very funny because I'm that we can laugh about it. But there has been times when I've been part of it, and people yeah, and it, it breaks up bands. It's like that's oh, how yeah. serious like that can oh, be. Yeah, yeah it that's it. I've had enough. Yeah, but I mean, you guys sort of you did break up, you got back together, and so it's like because you understood that the music's more stronger than everybody's egos. I guess right? Is that is that? Uh, I don't know. It probably egos were probably part of a reason why it broke up. So I don't know if that's accurate but <laughs> well i mean getting back together meant yeah. that the music was strong. well you know like the, that's the thing like i i would put it down to saying being in a band is is one of the most unnatural things you could ever choose to do because yeah. no in no other way in your life will you ever be forced to not only be in each other's faces and pockets 24 hours a day yeah. but be in each other's faces and pockets with very strong opinions about something you're working on together yeah you know? it's not like you're just you know, a brother and a sister or cousins or whatever, you live in the same trailer park. It's like, you know, you're in the same van and you're working on the same thing. Yeah. Day in and day out. And, uh, you know, and then you can add substances into that and you can add friends who are telling you you're you're the best part of the band. Yeah. And you've got record companies telling you, you know, to Ditch do Ditch those guys. Or not even yeah. that, but like change you, you know. Yeah, like they, yeah. They, they, they scout you and they find you and they sign you and then they want to change you and you uh, to a point where you're like, so when you came and saw the band and you yeah. like, we got to sign these guys, we're only going to sign three bands this year or whatever. Yeah. We're going to sign these guys so that we can change them into something they're not, you know, exactly. doesn't make any sense. So no. you got all that pressure yeah. constantly. Always. And it still happens. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. whether you're a YouTube sensation or you're 
uh, a working rock and roll band still trying to make a go at it, someone has an opinion about what they think, put their stamp on it. Because the stamp is the operative word. Wait, I can, I can mold these guys into something beautiful, something that's going to make a lot of money, or or be very successful and make me a lot of money. And mm-hmm. it's it's like I never really understood. So I do on the on the outside. I understand when you get this kid that's super talented or something. It can write a song. It has a beautiful voice and a beautiful face. Part of me says that kid could be famous, but I'm not going to be the guy who's going to exploit that guy. But mm-hmm. I see the, you know what I mean? Yeah, you see the potential. I see potential in some people. I see, and you're like, I could really mold this kid. And then it seems, you know what? I'm going to pull out because it's, to me, it just seems weird that I would somehow put my, I don't know, agenda on a person who's going to possibly be famous that I can be like his colonel, his Elvis kind of thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's weird. It's weird. I mean, have you ever thought about like, hey, this person's a great singer. I'm going to. Maybe well, like I, you know, when person. I produce records for people, yeah. I'm very much in the camp of it's not my record. It's you know, it's I'm I'm hopefully I hopefully I have 30 years of a toolkit that I can bring to your record. Yeah, and I can tell you certain things I think are pitfalls that we can avoid. I can tell you my opinions about things sonically and about arrangement stuff. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's your record. And, you know, I think the good thing about me producing records with people is that I always say straight up to them, you know, it's not uh, it's not the number one important thing, but having fun is important. So maybe it's 1A, you know? Yeah. And we got to make a good record, but I want you to be 70 years old and want to throw this record on and listen to it because you're proud of it and you like it and you remember how fun it was making the record. Yeah, you know? so, absolutely. So all those things, I, I keep them very much in the forefront of my mind. So I think that helps make it a better uh, experience and I think that it'll get the best out of everybody you know you still then have to deal with humans so some people don't work w- nicely together yeah <laughs> and sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I'm not suited you know that's what I also try to do a big vetting situation when I'm when I'm talking to people about producing the record and say look uh, I want to make sure that I'm the right person to do it because if I'm not I'll help you find somebody who is yeah but I don't want to do it just to make money I don't want you to I don't want to do it just because you're gonna pay me I want I want to do it because it's gonna be an experience for me too yeah and I don't want to be you know and that doesn't mean again like that doesn't mean that I, I worked with somebody who's whose uh, big biggest influence was Led Zeppelin and I'm not a huge Led Zeppelin fan and it falls into that uh, category as we said where they'll stretch things out in ways that I think yeah, could yeah, be cut yeah. down and yeah you know so that wasn't uh, my ideal strong suit, but I think that I also have something to learn when I work on these records as well, right? Absolutely, yeah, and it adds to your toolkit. Yeah, you know, and except you know, I, who are you? You know, who am I as a as a producer to judge someone based on their musical preference when it's not mine? And if it, and if if they sort of deliver it in a fashion, this goes back to what we talked about before about the spirit of it. If it feels good, there's nothing wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. If if Justin Bieber can say baby, 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 and 80 million people love that because he said baby, baby, baby four times, mm-hmm. it's not just the word. You know what I mean? Like, it's the spirit. And sure. You know what I mean? So I can appreciate simplicity. I can appreciate complexity as yeah. long as it's delivered in a fashion that's not, like, trying to... Like, what's that band that sounds like Led Zeppelin? They has, uh, has two... Oh, uh, Greta, Greta... Greta Van Fleet? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. That no, that to me freaks me out because that's too far. Well, spoiler uh, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the movie yesterday: yeah. turn the podcast off and turn back on in thirty seconds. <laughs> but uh, there's a great 
moment in there where you know the premise of the movie is the Beatles something happens yeah. the lights go out all over the world and, and suddenly the Beatles don't exist and have never existed and one busker knows that they did and knows all their songs so he goes to uh, so there's a hilarious moment where he goes to Google he can't believe he thinks his friends are just putting him on so he goes and he Googles the Beatles and Volkswagen cars come <laughs> up and insects come up but no Beatles yeah. and he and he's going crazy and he can't figure it out and at some point you see this little light bulb go off in his head and he and he Googles Oasis and they're gone too <laughs> and then he goes Oh, figures, you know, <laughs> like makes sense or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So there are, you know, there are moments like that where yeah. it's, you'll just listen to a band and go, well. Wow. You know, there are, the Oasis is a great example because in the 90s, I didn't have any time for them whatsoever exactly for that. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then sometime, I don't know, when, when Ruby was eight or nine, she came across Oasis. She was a big Beatle fan and then she discovered Oasis and she liked Oasis and didn't have the same judgmental reactions that I had. And I listened to them and I was like, well some of those hooks are just unimpeachable hooks. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't, the lyrics are very dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> but, and sometimes the uh, tenses don't match and sometimes I don't even know who's speaking anymore in the song, but, yes. but uh, you know, the hooks are pretty much unimpeachable uh, pop hooks. So, um, you know, I've sort of taken that in as like, well, I'll give you that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the thing, at least the, at least the darkness sort of, sort of had them. A soup of oh influences. the darkness yeah of course you know what I mean so like fun. they sort of had like cheap trick meets queen meets yeah. anything put it all together but the soup part is what makes the, for me as you know I can I love it because the influences are kind of like very cool like there's some you can hear some definitely hooks where like yep that would be on a queen record yep that would be on yeah. that record um, another band that did it for me was Jellyfish I don't know if you ever got into Jellyfish no. Jellyfish were like Queen meets the Beach Boys. Oh, and my. they put this record out called Spilt Milk, and it is if you ever ch listen to it today, because it's just it's very very Beach Boys, and then it's very very Queen, and yeah. it came out in the nineties, and they only did one rec. Oh, they did two or three records, but they broke up over this record, <laughs> and it's it's a great record actually. Um, but um, so we have to talk about the Do Good Assassins thing. That yeah, yeah. So so you know, and I think you know to sum up all the stuff we've been talking about so far is that I think. One thing I love about Lowest to the Low is in some ways, you know, it, there's a very mainstream part of the band in terms of like, you know, the poppiness of some of the hooks, the vocals, you know, the way we arrange songs. You know, we definitely have one foot clearly looking towards classic pop music and stuff like that. Uh, I think one way that we're completely a square peg in a round hole all the time is that is just lyrically and worldview wise, like I don't feel like I fit into the society I was born into anyway. And I've always been a leftist and always... Uh, had many many problems with the way all of this works so it's constantly informing how we have to deal with the band inside a system that's probably the most elevated version of capitalism probably found <laughs> in the film industry and the music industry yeah. so we run into it all the time so coming around to, to making decisions based on what's important to me as a person you know means that i don't worry too much about you know i i love the fact that we have a gold record for lowest of the low uh for shakespeare my butt but and I look at it after 18, 17, 18 records or whatever, and as long as I've been in it, as this has always been an experiment for me, and I, I'm completely divided at this point in my life, and I'm not being disingenuous when I say that, as that I feel like it's one point, one part massive success and one point massive failure. Mm. Because I feel like uh, massive success in what we've been able to pull off and what I've been able to pull off as a songwriter, massive failure in terms of like, ideally it would be great for us to get this message out to as many people as we could in the classic yeah. old way yeah. that you would have done it millions and millions of records sold it's been a massive failure on that level right? oh, so yeah so you know when i'm done this whole thing and neither of none of that sort of uh 
phases me at all. I'm comfortable with both because I understand what it is I'm trying to do and how weird and 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 uh, difficult it is to try and make that happen. You know? Yeah. It feels. So, it's sorry. Go ahead. So that does come around to this. Yeah. Uh, so the Do Good yeah. Assassins. You know, my my other band that I have, the Do Good Assassins. Uh, at some point, I don't know why I got I got very maybe it's because we're fifteen sixteen records in that it's like let's look for a cool new way to do something instead of just make another record and yeah so I bought a four track uh, Tascam two forty six four track cassette <laughs> recorder yeah. which I had I had one in nineteen eighty five when I when I first started writing songs and uh, getting into music and uh, I bought it partially because I just got thrilled with the idea of going back to that super limited old school technology and you know analog no no computer screens no no redos no undo you know yeah yeah uh and so i bought it and then i got it and it was you know advertised as mint condition it was in very good condition but it had some sort of weird wow and flutter and i said to to jill my partner i said uh i said is this just what we accepted in the 80s you know (laughs) and she's like no no i think i think there's an issue here right so i took it into a place in toronto called dupes which is a bunch of uh analog nerds uh, young guys that you know, like, weren't born even when analog gear was being used <laughs> regularly, but they love to work on stuff, and they fix, they got it all tooled up to mint, so it sounds amazing. So then we decided we would make a record. The Do Good Assassins. We're going to make a record on a four-track cassette machine, and uh, you know, I'm thinking of all the guided by voices and yeah, uh, you know, Nebraska like classic. Yep. And in my mind, I thought, well, you know, we're going to make this sort of like stoner rock bedroom record. You know, that'll be fun. You know, just not worry about any of the rough edges, and it'll be kind of lo-fi. So we got together, we got into Jody, Jody Brumell is the drummer, and we got into his living room and set up and everything. And so my so my ethos, my rule for this record was I'm gonna record four tracks, dump them into Logic, and then record four more tracks, dump them into Logic, so there's eight tracks, which I would have bounced on the machine back in the day. Of course, but yeah, they, yeah. To avoid that, you know, that one step of hiss, put the four put the eight tracks into Logic and then mix it. No plugins, you know, no digital chicanery, no digital editing, just mix it in there. And out through outboard gear so uh we did w- the first day and you know set up and everything and and uh you know jody's a fantastic drummer so there were some because his drums are going to a stereo pair of tracks which means that i can't do anything with them <laughs> after that right that's yeah that's the drum it. sound yeah uh and there was a couple things where like he'd go through a tom roll or something and one tom kept jumping out and i said jody you know i could probably eq this out or down or whatever i said but that's kind of not ideal because then it's affecting other drum sounds He's like, oh yeah, no problem. So we then he just is sort of compressing himself. He's just playing that tom more softly <laughs> when it comes around. So he can do that, which is yeah, you know, that's a big win. So you can. So then we recorded it, and then I got it home. And I got the tracks, and you never really know until you get the tracks in and listen to them in your little studio. And I was hearing it, and I kind of almost went, you know, it almost sounds too good. It almost sounds like nobody's going to believe that we made this on a four track cassette machine, right? <laughs> but it has that vibe, and it's got you know, it's it's four people playing in a room, which is what I wanted. You know, I wanted no. Like, oh, when the guitars get to the chorus, we'll overdub a different sound on the guitar. It's like, yeah. no, it's four people playing, you know, like whatever records you might have grown up with that you Yeah, like, you yeah, know? yeah. So that's been an amazing process. We're, we're seven songs into that. We did seven songs in one day, which is another, you know, the efficiency of it, the absolute uh, joy of yeah. just playing with your friends and playing a whole song all the way through. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually, a, you remember a band called Another Blue Door? I don't. They worked the same idea. It was a few members of Carnations and this, I forget the guy's singer's name, but I'm sorry. But uh, they would do versions. They would do one song, but three different ways. Right. And uh, on a four track. And they would do it at this one guy's house in Oshawa. And it was like, you listen to it like, sounds like an album to me. Because you know, you usually get that. It's been recorded in a shitty studio, snare sound. It's like, 
Is that that weird? <laughs> like sort of yeah. telltale. It's like looking at a CD and it's green on the back. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. But it has that sort of trademark. None of this existed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, the closest thing I do to four track was oh god, years ago I was working with us in a few and we were doing pre production, and we went and bought a bunch of cassettes from wherever it was and put them in. And we're doing four track recording and we realized that they were just normal biased. So there was like oh, super right. hissy. Yeah. So I go, oh, we got to get some chrome tapes. So we went and got chrome tapes and did the same songs. And that's the efficiency of it all. I was like, we'll just do those again, but yeah. on chrome tapes. I'm like, wow, this, you know what I mean? It was like our eyes were opened. On, you know? Well, it's so freeing too, because, you know, I I would argue when I, when I listen to this four track stuff that we've done, it sounds better than Shakespeare My Butt Sounds. Yeah. And that's partially because we're older and can play better, and and the sounds that are going in, I'm I know more about Sonics, and the sounds yeah. going in sound better. Yeah. But uh, you know, so it just gets back to yes, you can. I mean, you know, again, we're that's because I'm willing to realize there's not a single radio station in Toronto that's going to play anything off this record because it doesn't. But fit you don't the know that programming. I I don't know that, you and you know yeah. the way this works. Yeah. <laughs> this will be a wild success, and they'll play. It'll go four singles deep or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. One for Nostradamus. each track. Yeah, one for each track. <laughs> but it's, you know, just an enjoyable way to, uh, you know, as as a person who produces records too, it's just an enjoyable way. I'm at that point in my life where it's like, well, I've done a lot of different kinds of things. So now I can go, hey, yeah, let's make a record on a four track. Yeah. And the cool thing is, you know, talk to any musician who, uh, and it's not even people who are my age, talk to any musician and tell them we're making a record on a four track. They're like, oh, amazing. Yeah, right? That's yeah. so cool yeah. because it sounds fun and it is fun. Well, you know, yeah. I got the machine. The first time I put it, put it in play, there's like that sort of tape cleaner, tape head smell. Yeah. There's some kind of a smell from the, maybe from the electronics in the machine that just takes me back to being 16 years old. And it's the probably the time where I was the most... I mean, I'm always super excited. I'm still super excited to make music, but it was a time where I was, when it was brand new to me and I was so excited. Yeah. And I can, the smell memory of it, you know, even working with this machine gives me, puts me right back there. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. a win-win on across the board. You know? Yeah. What I've noticed is I've started writing a little bit more on the couch while I'm watching TV or something. I, I haven't written songs in like five years, it seems like, but I start writing songs and putting it in my phone. The difficult part is taking the phone and then going to the part and putting mics up and sort of having that sort of like the process of setting it all up. Yeah. To me, that's the daunting part now where it's rather than in my in the olden days, there was always a mic set up. There's always something ready to go. So right. if I knew, I just like your, your sort of studio in your basement, it's like I can plug in, turn on the computer, hit new track or new song and bam, I'm recording. For me, it's like, oh my God, there's a process that's involved that's almost the exact opposite of, of what you're saying. It's like, yeah. maybe I need something like a Ford track or something. It's just its own little workstation that yeah. I could just plug in. It has a guitar sound, it has a vocal mic and just create my little thoughts of, you know, whatever and then put it somewhere and document it. Because I yeah. used to do like one a day kind of thing where you're like, I'm in the shower. Oh, and then go down and write it and then come back to it. But life changes how yeah, yeah. the priorities of wanting to do stuff like that. And, you know, I commend you for always being, like, ready to write a song. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, for me, it's incredibly hard. Yeah. But. Well, you know, the other thing about that is, like, not having a computer screen to look at. You get, we've gotten so used to look at computer screens. Yeah, That, yeah. that just using your ears and, and listening to music, which is clearly what you should be doing. Yeah. Uh, is like when you're talking about this painting behind me, like, you know, people get into galleries. I always would laugh when I've had gallery shows for paintings that the curator wants me to write a artist's statement 
on what the show's about. <laughs> and it's like, so, you know, I'm, I'm me. So I've always been kind of like take the piss and, and write some kind of sarcastic thing yeah. because I don't take that part of it seriously. And they get very angry that, yeah, you know, that you're, you're not, mocking, you're poking, you're poking mocking the institution of, yeah. of galleries and, yeah. you know, but to me it's like, it's ludicrous. It's like, no, the paintings, I don't want to tell, I don't want to coach people. I don't want to lead the witness. I want them to come in and look yeah. at the paintings yeah, I've always said with that their too. eyeballs. Yeah. They should be able to get, get, or like it's like for instance when someone asks you about lyrics and such it's sort of like well i could tell you exactly what i was thinking that mm -hmm. many or a few records ago or you can just have your own interpretation yeah and then so it's like for me sitting at if i painted a piece of art i'm not going to stand in the gallery and explain what people were what i was thinking when i Brush yeah. the stroke. I use the conjunction and so that way people would know that mm. I was adding that to the other side. When I said baby, I wasn't really meaning babies as per se. Yeah, because that was, is illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean there's there's a sort of a message that needs to that needs to sort of stand on its own, right? Especially mm -hmm. in art, you know. And I went to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam and I looked at stuff that I didn't get, but I knew I was appreciative that I was there. I liked the fact that I was actually there. And mm -hmm. though my dumb eyes were looking at stuff going, I think this means more than actually what I'm looking at. Right. But I like the fact that I'm here because it's Yeah. It's telling me something and I don't know what and that's the cool part. The same thing with music, right? It should, you know, you shouldn't have to overexplain. Well, there's the you know that quote that it keeps getting attributed to different people, and I've heard it attributed to Elvis Costello, but I'm not sure he actually originally said it as the, what is it talking about? Music is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like, totally yeah, just true. Go and experience, 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 yeah. experience. That's yeah, what it should be. It's you know? true. You know, and when I, uh, you know, one of my favorite songwriters is Neil Finn. And he writes lyrics that are so... Like he had a house metaphor thing going on for like 30 years where everything's about a house. He's talking about houses. Crowded. Crowded, crowded, crowded in that house. house. Crowded in that house. But he has songs where he's talking about, you know, using house as a metaphor. He's gone away from that now, but but just have stream of conscious lyrics is really tough to try to explain somebody what that stream of consciousness means. Mm -hmm. You know, they should just stand on its own. But that's the difference. And maybe it doesn't mean anything. No, that's true. It doesn't yeah. have to. And who said it has to? Well, I guess people at record labels sitting behind desks with platinum records behind them, they have to have like, what's this message? Because it needs to speak to yeah, yeah. your demographic. But I'm always, and I think we're on the same page with this, is like, it just needs to stand on its own. You just need to let people know, these are my thoughts. If you can agree with it, great, buy the record. And that's usually a true testament of what the message is, is you know what I mean? In that vein yeah, where, you know, sure. rather than using the machine to make you successful. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever works. I mean, you know, like the, to me, like it's, I've often had discussions with my dad who plays classical piano hmm. about, you know, he, uh, when I was listening to Tom Waits a lot and stuff like that, he would, he would talk about how, you know, what the piano was for and what the piano is not for. And, you know, I guess in, in insinuating that, Tom was using the piano for something Wrong. the piano shouldn't be used for, <laughs> um, and I'm oh. sure I'm sure Tom has done that. But uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, to me, it's just like I was saying. You know, I I, I strictly come from a folk background, and I and by folk music, I mean anything like punk music. Uh, I think hip hop's the same way. You know, folk music itself, country music, anything that's made for people um, and telling stories about people, and you know, yeah. like I think however you get your message to people, and if it resonates with people, then it works. If it doesn't resonate with people, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter which scale you're using, or if you're using the circle of fifths properly. Yes, things I don't even know about, but mm -hmm. like 
you know, I think it just you either it either resonates with people. That's what you know. That's one thing. I mean, I'm I'm fully uh, again as a, as a progressive person, I think, and as a socialist, I'm I'm fully aware that we have to be sensitive to people's needs and to look outside of our no- normative ways of thinking. At the same time, I really think that with art itself, people should put stuff out there. There's all this stuff about you know uh, appropriation, and there's stuff about uh, you know what you can say, what you can't say. I, I'm not necessarily just saying let the market decide, but I'm saying as art, you know, it will either resonate with people or it won't. It'll either mm-hmm. infuriate people or it won't. And that's kind of its job. So maybe we shouldn't front load too many assumptions about it. We should just make art and then we'll see what it does out there, you know? Yeah, that, I totally and 100% agree with you. That's a good way to end off too, by the way. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good closing statement, sir. Uh, no, I agree. So the, yeah, in... When you say some, if you make a message and 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 a thousand people agree, then the thousand people are getting the message. If the other million or billion people don't get the message, well, at least there was a chance. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, if it's the Nuremberg rallies, then I disagree with it because <laughs> three hundred thousand people agreed with that idea, and it was, you know, in that rally or whatever, how many people were yeah, there? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's insane and terrifying. Well, that's the other scary part of it. Yeah. It's like you know, that's what's happening south of the border right now is people are getting coerced and convinced that the wrong message. Is yeah, but I don't think it's the art. You know, I mean, if it's just propaganda, that's one thing. But I mean, like, I'm just talking about people writing songs, painting pictures, writing novels. You yeah. know, I think that people need the freedom to write unfettered and then you know i've I've just i know some people who publish books and i've heard the same things about films where there's well now we have to send it to the sensitivity readers yeah. and i'm like and that uh, the phrase makes my this my skin crawl kind of because <laughs> i get i understand why yeah. and i under and i understand that maybe that's a sensitive thing to do but at the same time i just think as an artist i'm like oh god really that's where we're at we have to send our work to the people's commissar of sensitivity and see if it gets passed i mean like that seems terrifying to me in because terms that's of, a form of censorship in yeah, my opinion that's yeah. just that's just a form of someone saying well i'm offended when you said that word in that fashion well, so, well generally if you say something where people take it the wrong way generally you know what i mean the the message that they're getting if it's the wrong message means that they're probably maybe may more insensitive than the person writing it you know what i mean i yeah. can't really come up with an example without you know, but if someone says something that's sort of disparaging to, I don't know, let's use cats as an example. You know, I, this, you know, cats are well, dumb. Well, first of all, show me the person who disparages cats, and then no, no, that's right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not sure they're there. But. I'm, I'm sensitive to the cats' needs. Right. But um, if Simon someone is wearing a cat, shirt I am right wearing now. a cat shirt, dressed like a Slayer shirt, by the way. Um, but if someone has a message, and the message is sort of maybe has a little double entendre to it Mm -hmm. it makes you think that well okay well you see saying this you're saying that and then the person that immediately goes to the negative side well that means those are the people that shouldn't be judging because they're immediately taking it the wrong way right and that's the only sort of broad strokes example of creating art that's either uh, makes people think or makes people feel that this is the wrong message or the right message to Uh, that plus i guarantee you that you don't want to live in a world where where art doesn't offend anybody of course because it's a conversation as well. Like, yeah. you know, that offends me. Well, why does it offend you? Well, because this, that, and the other thing. Well, that's your, you have a problem with that. The masses of that will decide whether or not mm-hmm. that's a, because if a thousand people say that's the wrong thing, I, I don't think it's the wrong thing. I mean, when NWA put their record out, you know what I mean? Like, 
That offended a lot of people. Offended a lot of people. And a lot of people, no, that actually pushed hip hop forward. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's sort of like, oh, okay, well, that's a pretty good example to the fact that it pushed a message out. But then again, it took someone to the to the point of going, wait, okay, guys. And then you had like other things like the Ghetto Boys. And then all of a sudden it changed into more and more like abrasive, crazy, yeah. gangster, thuggy kind of stuff. And then it since pulled back and said, oh, I make a lot of money. You know what I mean? So it was sort of like, it all went in waves, you know? I, 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 I forget what I was even talking about, but they, I think the whole idea that the message should be, com- there should be a conversation on what, yeah, exactly. what, what the art is. Well, thanks, man. It's good. Again, we're, we're rolling right up. Yeah, no, it's it's it got heady. It's getting heady. Well, your last name is Simon. Well, it's Hedy. Simon Heady. What else would it be? Don't know. <laughs> and that was Mr. Ron Hawkins. Always, always a great, great conversation. Good episode. I'm glad we took a week to get it out. <laughs> actually, it, it is actually, in all honesty, it's Wednesday the 31st. So I was going to put it out on Monday. I just got busy with life, and I said, you know what? This episode deserves a nice... Just wait. Just wait for it. Just, I'm going to throw a little video on YouTube. You can just enjoy it for what it is. And like I said, they all... It's tough putting these episodes out sometimes, man. Because it is a busy time in my life. And uh, I love doing the podcast, but... You know what? I was actually talking to Ron about this. Is that, you know what? What if I just went every other week for the summer? Is that something wrong with that? Does anybody have a problem with that? Would would anybody care? So there's no rush. It's a podcast. It's not like it's like a radio show. People aren't relying on me to um, throw these out so they can uh, put gas in their tank. So this is, this is great. Okay? So anyways, enjoy your week. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the heat. Enjoy sunny days and no rain. Okay? We'll see you next week.